0: going to consider another specific miracle of Jesus, and we're going to look at when he fed the multitudes. We're going to look at when he miraculously fed the multitudes. Before we do that, let's have a prayer. After we have our prayer this morning, we're going to read from Luke chapter 9 in the New Testament, okay? Let's bow our heads together. Holy God, thank you, Father, for being our Father for being our Lord, for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins. Thank you for the evidence that your son has given us to confirm that he is your son. Thank you for the miracles that he performed before so many eyewitnesses. And thank you that we can study these things and learn lessons from them and be strengthened in our faith. We pray, Father, that we won't just grow in our knowledge of these things, but that we will Take this information and share it with other people, share it with lost people who, who also need to come to your son. Father, we're mindful of the sick among us, those who aren't able to be here because of various sicknesses. Uh, we pray, continue to pray for our country. We continue to pray for this transition period we're in right now as far as leaders go in our country. We pray that you always bless us to be the kind of people you need us to be uh, in this wonderful country. Uh, God, just continue to be with us. Bless us this year. Be with our shepherds. Be with all of our Bible class teachers, our deacons, our young people. Be with us all. Bless the parents and grandparents. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, I put several verses there on your uh, worksheet there in your book. I'm just going to, due to time, read from Luke's account. Luke chapter 9 uh verse number 10 beginning with verse number 10 i read from the new american standard uh, translation and in luke 9 and verse 10 it says when the apostles returned they gave an account to him of all that had done that, that they had done taking them with him he withdrew by himself to a city called bethsaida But the crowds were aware of this and followed him, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about fifty each. They did so, and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up twelve baskets full. What we find there in those verses is the occasion when Jesus miraculously fed thousands and thousands of people with just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. The Bible actually says he fed 5,000 men. This word men that is used here is the same word that is used in Acts 4 and verse 4 when it says that the Jerusalem church grew to, uh, I believe it was 4,000 or 5,000 men as well. That word men that is used there is not being used generically. It's not being used to refer to mankind. It's used to refer to adult males. There were at least 5,000 adult males on this occasion. That's not counting the women and the children who were also present. Some say there could have been as many as fifteen or 20,000 people who were with Jesus in Bethsaida on this occasion. And so let's consider a few interesting facts about about this miracle. Let's begin by first pointing out where the miracle occurred. Luke 9 and verse 10 says it occurred in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is the town that this miracle took place in. Now, I want to show you something interesting about geography and show you how, how, the Jews looked at geography a little bit different than we do as far as their terminology goes. Go to Luke, uh, not Luke, John, John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. Okay, now in verse 22. In verse 22, in John 6 is parallel, it's a parallel text to Luke 9, all right? And this is the day after Jesus walked on water. You remember that. And this is also the day after Jesus had done this miracle we're gonna talk about. The day after he miraculously multiplied this food. Well, in verse number 22, it says, the next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they had ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum. So they went to Bethsaida and they went to Capernaum. Seeking Jesus, when they found him on what? The other side. From Bethsaida to Capernaum is the other side? They said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So in our terminology, when we think of other side, what would we think of naturally? Yeah, you're going from here to here. That's not how the Bible does it. And in the Bible, it makes Bethsaida to Capernaum the other side. You see that? So this could be a little bitty five-minute boat ride. You just jump in a boat and go boom, like that. It's Kind of like getting on one of those, you know those little things they're using these days with a little, little scooter thing where it's kind of doing everything and people taking those everywhere. I don't know what those things are called. But a lot of teens are using them. I mean, that's kind of how they use boats in the first century. You may take a little trip. You may want to go just to Bethsaida to Capernaum. Well, instead of walking, you would get on the boat and do a little, do a little thing like this. Just go roop, there you go. You may go from here to here. The other side is not always going from here to the land of the Gadarenes. Does that make sense? Sometimes the Bible writers use other side as language. They can refer to just going from Bethsaida to Capernaum. These people saw Jesus wasn't here anymore. They got on some boats and they went to Capernaum. They just went a little distance to the other side. You see that? So this this is Bethsaida. And then the next day, Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he preaches that great sermon about being the bread of life. He does that in Capernaum. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. So let's look at some facts concerning this miracle. We know that it was done in Bethsaida. But some other things, well, I forgot I had these in here. I forgot I went to Bethsaida. So let me say something about that. Uh, I was able to go to Bethsaida when I was in Israel. Now, when when you enter into Bethsaida, when you enter into the, the town, they have uh, a reference of, I'm trying to see what that says. I think that's Luke 10, 13. Luke chapter 10 and verse 13. Fact check me on that, Lance. Luke 10, 13. And I think that's the passage where Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Is that Luke 10, 13, Lance? Yeah. Okay, so this is on here when you enter into Bethsaida on this other scripture reference, which is Luke 9 and verse 10. This is talking about when Jesus went to Bethsaida to multiply the food. Now, this is interesting that they put this one here because in that verse, Luke 10, 13, Jesus cursed Bethsaida. He cursed the city. Why did he curse the city? They didn't believe in him. He said, had, had the things I'd done in these Gentile places like Tyre and Sidon had been, had, had, been, had I'd done these things in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. You didn't repent. And I did great miracles here. So Jesus cursed this town. And guess what? What Jesus said came to pass. It's still cursed to this day. This is what you find when you go to Bethsaida. Ruins. This is the ruins of Bethsaida. Somewhere here, along here, Jesus did this miracle. He multiplied the fish and the bread. This is us walking into Bethsaida, and it is a city of ruins. In fact, all the cities that Jesus cursed in the Gospels, Capernaum, he cursed Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, all of them are nothing but ruins today. They're not inhabited, even though there are many places in Galilee, including Nazareth, that are inhabited. But these are not. They're desolate. And so this miracle is interesting. It is interesting because and I want to get this right, because when I say this in classes so often, you always got somebody who will say, well, don't don't forget about the resurrection. Okay, not counting the resurrection. When you just look at the miracles performed by Jesus in his ministry. This is the only one that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It seems to have occurred in the springtime. It seems to have occurred in the springtime. Somebody says, how do we know that? Well, we know that because in John 6 and verse 4, in John 6 and verse 4, the Bible says the Passover was near, right? Passover always happens when? Spring. You also look at what is said in Mark's account, and Mark mentions green grass. Jesus had the people sit on green grass. See how that's all in harmony. Springtime, green grass. Gospel writers are in perfect harmony with this. A large group of people have been following Jesus. We read that in Luke's Luke's account. They have been following Jesus for quite some time. Families were following Jesus. Men, women, children, husbands, wives, children. And the people got hungry. The the day draws to a close. Jesus is doing miracles. He's teaching. He's confirming who he is. And the day draws to a close. And all these people are out in a desolate place. So they're a long way from civilization. And there are kids there, remember, okay. And they're hungry. They're hungry. And Jesus has compassion for them. He has compassion. Now, did the apostles seem to have much compassion? They didn't seem to have much compassion, but Jesus did. Jesus had compassion towards their hunger in this desolate place. He told the apostles to give them something to eat. And somebody tell me, how did the apostles respond to Jesus' request to feed these people? What somebody say? I'm sorry, don't have we don't have we don't have enough. What did they have? What did they have on them? They had a couple of fish and five loaves. They had two fish and five loaves. And where did that come from? Anybody remember? A little boy, go to John chapter six. The little boy is mentioned in John six and verse number eight. It was this little sack lunch, Gary. They're gonna take this little boy's sack lunch he had. He's the only one who had enough sense to bring some food on the trip. Ain't that something? He brought he brought some food. In John chapter six in verse number eight, it says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said there is a lad here, a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these to feed so many people? So the only food they had out there with maybe 15 or 20,000 people was a little boy's lunch that he that he had brought on the trip. Andrew says, all we got is just right here. So how are we going to feed all these people with just this this small amount of food? Now, Jesus knows everything, right? We made that point this morning. Is Jesus asking questions that he doesn't know the answer to? He's asking questions that's leading somewhere, okay? Jesus is intending to feed these people the whole time miraculously. He knows what he's going to do. He's just asking these questions to set it all up. He's setting it all up. And he's also exposing the, the, how the apostles, their, their faith is still not where it needs to be, Right? So Jesus, he knows what he's going to do. He knows who, who has food and who doesn't. So we go on and we look at the slide. The people are hungry. Jesus fulfills their need. He has them sit in groups of 50, the Bible says. You've got groups of 50. Okay? And again, you've got a large crowd of people, maybe 15,000 people. That's about the size of Paradise Valley. I had to look up Something equivalent to that here in Arizona. That's like that's a big that's a good sized community there. So you got a lot of people here. okay? so Jesus sits these people down in groups of 50, 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. He gives thanks. And when we look at the other example of Jesus doing this, because he's going to do this same miracle later. Every time the Bible says he gives thanks, did you notice that? It always emphasizes Jesus giving thanks. Now, if Jesus gives thanks before eating food and and distributing food, shouldn't we be doing that also, right? So Jesus always gave thanks and he miraculously multiplied the food. He takes this boy's sack lunch, two fish and five loaves of bread, and he just makes it into a huge feast. All these people. And the Bible says not only did the people eat of this, but they were fully satisfied. They were stuffed, fully satisfied. And there were even leftovers. You ever, you ever go to restaurants, and, and this happens all the time with Janice, she always got to ask for a, a to-go box. A to-go box. I usually eat all my food, but Janice in faith, you know, she, we just order her fries. That's all she eats is fries. And, and and she gotta get a to-go box for the fries, so we asked for to-go boxes because you get a to-go box when you are like I can't eat no more of this. I'm full. Well, that's what happened here. The twelve instructed were instructed to gather up the leftovers. Fifteen thousand people maybe, and they have so much food. They they can't eat it all. Gary, you have your, go ahead, sir. Go right ahead, sir. Denarii, right? Yeah. Amazing. So it was a, it was a large sum. And if you're talking about monetarily wise, this is a very expensive feast to feed all these people. Absolutely, great point, Gary. So you have leftovers, and there are twelve full baskets left. Now we know the number twelve is always significant in the Bible, right? Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles. The number twelve is one of those numbers, like the number forty that you see mentioned throughout the scripture. So you got 12 full baskets left. And maybe that's symbolic for something. But another thing I want to say, too, is this miracle is particularly powerful, at least in my judgment, because it was easily verifiable. Verifiable in the sense that not only did the people, not only were they hungry, and not only did they see Jesus take a little sack lunch and turn it into a feast, but they ate it. They tasted this miracle. They digested this miracle. And you got a huge crowd of people there. This wasn't just two or three people. This wasn't like some instances where Jesus takes a leper out of a village or it's just Jesus and a blind man. You got a whole community of people who not only saw this miracle, but they ate the miracle. They digested the miracle. Very, very powerful. Now, let's dig a little deeper. Okay. go back to John six again. Okay, go back to John six. Let's talk about how the people respond to this. I want to look particularly at verses 14 and 15 of John six. Want to look at verses 14 and 15. Give me the first response. What is the first thing that the people did? According to verse 14, we want to hit 14 first. What did the people do? How did they respond when Jesus did this? That's interesting language. They called him the prophet. The prophet, not just a prophet. Not just like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Zechariah, somebody like that. They say he is the prophet. Where are they making a where are they getting that language from? The prophet. Yeah, That's Deuteronomy 18:15. Deuteronomy 18:15. Moses says that somebody from among them a prophet was going to come from among them and that was going to be who they needed to listen to. This prophet was going to be greater than Moses. And the Jews recognized Moses as the most superior of the prophets because he was the lawgiver. And yet these people use Moses language that shows you they're anticipating the Messiah to come. They're waiting for him to come. And when Jesus does this, they say he's that guy Moses spoke of. He is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. He's not just a prophet like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, but he is the prophet. He's the prophet. That's that's messianic language. They recognize him as the fulfillment of the words of Moses. The second thing they do was what's verse 15 say? John 6, verse 15. What's the second thing they do? They try to take him by force, grab him. And they say, you're going to be a king. You're going to be our king right here, right now. So they, they clearly recognize him as the Messiah. Would you agree? They're ready to make him the king of Israel right here and right now. So they they acknowledge him as the fulfillment of the prophecies and that gets them excited. They want to make him a king right now. They're going to take him by force and do it. My question is, why would they react this way? Why out of all the miracles Jesus has done up to this point? What makes this one so special? Why does this one get the people so excited? This is not the only miracle these people have seen Jesus do. Remember, they've been following him. So, why is this one so special? What do y'all think? Somebody say it again. It affected every one of them. That's a good thought. Large group. Very good. Done. They're still looking for the sign of Moses, which if you continue on down to chapter 6, what sign are you going to? give us. He gave us manna. You fed us, but where's the real sign? He gave us manna continuously and it's the setup for Jesus teaching that he is the true bread of life that came down from heaven. But they have something now tangible to touch and fill their bellies with and that's what they're looking for. Excellent thoughts, everybody. Let me add add to to what you're saying by saying this. Let me just add to it, okay? Something like this, what Jesus did, had only been done in Israel one time before. One time. And it was when? It was when God did it in the days of Moses. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. While the people of Israel, after they left out of Egypt, they were were wandering in the wilderness and they started complaining. Y'all remember that? They just complaining. They're grumbling. They said, God has brought us out of here to kill us with starvation. They, they even said, we want to go back to Egypt. We remember in Egypt, we had the cucumbers, we had, we had just a great buffet line of food. We may have been slaves, but we were eating good in Egypt. That's what they were saying. They were complaining and grumbling in the wilderness because they were hungry, and they thought God was going to let them starve. And so what did God do? Well, God, in his great love and his mercy and patience, he gave them food. He gave them bread. He gave them miraculous bread. He gave them manna. He did that for how long? 40 years. 40 years God rained bread from heaven. All they had to do was get up in the morning and it was right outside the tent. The only time God didn't do it was on the Sabbath day, right? They were supposed to gather a double portion the day before so they would not collect on the Sabbath day. But God did that for 40 years. This was a very significant event in Israel's history. It was part of the Feast of Booths commemoration. Remember the three big feast days in Israel? Passover, right? And then you have Pentecost, and then you got the Feast of Booths. That was when throughout the land of Israel, the people would live in portable little tents to remember what happened to their ancestors when they were wandering in the wilderness. Part of what happened to them when they were wandering in the wilderness was God blessed them with bread. God gave them physical bread out of heaven. That's the only time this something like this has been done in Israel. And now Jesus pops up and he's doing it. He's doing something that, that was only done in the days of Moses. He's doing something that only God did for Israel. The Israelites, who were very familiar with the Old Testament, who were very familiar with their history, they made this connection. They knew God was the only one who could give physical bread. And Jesus is giving physical bread. Therefore, he must be God. He must be the Messiah. He must be the one that Moses spoke of. The Jews understand that. And we see that not only in how they react here by trying to make him a king by force, but you're also going to see that going back to what Don said in the language that they're going to use when talking to Jesus the next day. When they start bringing up the manna and and what happened in the wilderness, they're going to bring that up the next day. So that's a great point. Tony and then and then Mike. That's exactly why he didn't do it. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to do it because Satan suggested. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. Oh. Jesus killed could have did it, but he's not going to do it because to, to, Satan suggested. That's the main reason why he didn't do it, because of who offered it, was the devil. Jesus says, no, I trust God. Uh, Mike, yes, sir, then I'll move on. Go right ahead, sir. Just real quick. So a quick thought, you said, when we look at the miracle and the people's attitude, the people. Right. The people understood what he was doing. Yes. Yep. How can we eat his weapon? How can we? Eat and they start the You can see that division again. The people, the ordinary people understand. Who is. And Mike, can I add to that by saying this, sir, to go with what you're saying. It also shows me, because this same thing happened in Israel in the time of Moses, God can do something great and that can lose its luster pretty quick with people. You know what I'm saying? Remember even after God was giving them bread, there came a time when the Israelites said, we don't want no more of this bread. (laughs) They said, oh, we got to eat more bread. That's what I mean. They said that. And God has given them bread from heaven and they got tired of it. See, the next day, and I'm going to talk about this in a sermon this morning, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But these people, they were impressed this day. But for many of them and the religious leaders especially, the next day, they're going to want that. They're going to be more consumed in that than what Jesus really had to offer. And that's just human nature. That's people. I mean, it's like when people get baptized, they come out all excited sometimes and they're, you know, they're on fire for God. They appreciate Jesus. And then sometimes I've seen this happen. Like a couple of days go by and that's lost its luster. That happens with people. They want you to they want God to keep doing something to impress them all the time. That's why the next day they are like, show us a sign. Wait a minute, What about the day before he just did something? And, and, that, and I think people are the same way today, Mike. I really don't think a lot has changed. Um, so speaking of that, the next day, you know, they're going to they're start talking with Jesus more about this, and they're going to be wanting another free meal. That's what that's about. But the Jews, and going with what you said, Mike, on this day, they clearly understand that only God can do this. Only God can miraculously provide bread. Only God could have done that in the days of Moses, and only God can do it now. These people are excited about Jesus on this occasion. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe he is the prophet. It appears that they're ready to make him a physical king, and this also shows their misunderstanding about the kingdom. They're, ready, they're thinking of a physical kingdom still. They want to make him a physical king because they want him to liberate them from a physical government. The Roman government, like this is our time. Let's put him in place right now. We're going to get freedom from the Romans. But Jesus, that's not why he came, was it? To be a physical king. He came to be a spiritual king over a spiritual kingdom. And through the providence of God, he gets out of this some kind of way. And it's not the only time we find Jesus kind of slipping through and kind of getting out of these situations because it's not time for that. So these people are excited. But as you all have already said, this excitement is gonna change it's gonna change the next day it's gonna go f- from excitement to we don't really like this guy anymore we don't really like this guy so let's stop right there any any comments uh, about this particular instance here Ryan and then Lance after that go ahead Ryan yes Absolutely. He was prepared. That's a, that, that, that is an excellent point. And so often, us as adults, we're, we're not prepared. We could learn a lot from him. It's a great point. Lance, go ahead, sir. Last time in class, I think we talked about God's time and why Jesus didn't do certain things. Right. There's actually... Their time, they had their vision, right. but God had His time and Jesus had His plan. And he, was doing the and he never was going to compromise that. Absolutely. Uh, anybody else? Gary, yes, sir. In John, we learned that Jesus not only felt compassion for the people, but He was also testing His disciples. Yep. No, I think that's exactly what the questions were about testing the, the, the faith of the disciples. Uh, and, and I can just imagine as they look back on certain things later. They felt very foolish. He asked later, Don't you remember? Right. Well, that actually goes to the next one. And I, and I think we need to move on to that. So just right, remember those two things. They called him the prophet. They tried to take him by force. Now, the 4,000, because this is not the only time Jesus does this, like you said. Uh, there's another occasion when he does it. That's, and one reference I put down was Mark 8 1 through 9. Okay? And this one took place several months later. So this one's later. And you got another large crowd of people with Jesus and they've been with him for three days. The Bible says he goes into the Decapolis. So he's in this area right here. He had left Tyre and Sidon. Tyre here, Sidon going more to the north in in, uh, Gentile territory. He was there preaching. He was there teaching. Then he makes his way to Decapolis. So he's in Gentile territory, but he's got crowds of people. He's got crowds of people with him. They were with him for three days. And the Bible particularly says here that before sending these people home, Jesus really felt sorry for them. They had been following him for three days. Men, women, children, the word 4,000 men there again is not Generic is talking about four thousand men, so again we could have up to ten thousand people, and he feels compassion for the people. He doesn't want to send them away hungry. He is afraid that they may faint along the way. That's what the Bible says, and so there are some questions that are asked in the text. But go back to Mark chapter eight. There are some questions here that I think we need to look at. Um. Mark 8, 1 through 9, and I'm going to just highlight a couple of things here. Verse 3, Jesus says, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way. Some of them have come from a great distance. See the compassion of Jesus, the great compassion of Jesus. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread? Here in this desolate place to satisfy these people. Now, what's the problem with that question? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, didn't they already? Weren't they there? Or are these different apostles? This, this was a makeup I, 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 I mean, these guys had been with Jesus when he did the other one, when it was more people. And they have the audacity to ask such a question? I mean, it's, 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 it's really ridiculous. And then in verse 5, he asked the question How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So notice again, there's not enough food on the surface to feed all these people. And so Jesus feels compassion. He doesn't want to send them away hungry. All they had is seven loaves and a few fish. Once again, Jesus miraculously multiplies the food, and you got leftovers. The people are very satisfied, fully satisfied. And the Bible says that there weren't 12 baskets of leftovers this time. This time there were seven, and the number seven is another Bible number, right? That's another number to keep a watch for in the Bible. Brother John, go right ahead, sir. That's exactly right. The lack of maturity, their faith is still not where it needs to be. Um, There's just a lot of problems there. And Jesus, being the great patient teacher that he is, he continued to be patient with them. Somebody like me would have gave up on, I would have just said, y'all, I'm done with y'all. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I'm going to start over again. But Jesus saw some of these men. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful that certain people in my life haven't give, had, had not given up on me. Because I, I look back on some of the things I've done in my own life. How immature, and I'm still immature, but even more immature then. And so many people who had so much more wisdom than me. And I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I knew everything, but they didn't give up on me. And I'm thankful for that. I wouldn't be before you today if people had given up on me. So I think that's something, you know, that's something to learn there. Uh, Brother Tony, then I need to give you a few little things here I want to close with. I always like think about like that's all he could have said a thousand angels. Right. Because when he was being crucified, he could have just easily like said, This is crazy, and just ended on right there. Right. Right. No. That's absolutely right. So after Jesus does this miracle, after the leftovers are collected, he dismisses the crowd and he crosses over the sea, goes back to Galilee. Let me give you a few practical lessons to take home from all of this real quick. What can we really take away from Jesus doing these two wonderful miracles, multiplying food to feed thousands of people? Well, the first one that we really need to keep highlighting is confirmation of identity. Confirmation of identity. Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. He's the son of God. He's the prophet. He's the king. Only someone who has, who is those things, who meets those qualifications can do what Jesus does. So all of this ultimately is about confirmation of identity. Remember what John said in John 20, 30 and 31. John says, you know, there's many other things Jesus did, but the things that have been recorded are there so you can have the evidence you need to believe that he's a son of God. And that believing in him, you can have life in his name. Secondly, this miracle is particularly interesting because not only is it confirming his identity, but you're seeing creative power. This is not Jesus giving sight to a blind person, taking away leprosy, but he's making stuff out of thin air. He's making some out of thin air. That's very unique. He's making matter. Okay? Okay. And that shouldn't surprise us that he can do that why cuz he did it in the beginning. And it's good. And it's good and it's good and it's fully satisfies. Yeah, it's it's not it's absolutely right. I never thought of that about that before. But that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Jonathan, yes sir. 2 Kings 442, the last part of the chapter, Elisha also did. Now, that's a good point. Absol- and but but Jesus does it times what? Yeah, even more, absolutely. And only God can do that again. And and, and so we find, we find things being made out of thin air. We find the making of matter. And we find him, Jesus, doing that all the way back in Genesis. There's nothing new. We find compassion, thirdly. Number three, compassion. So we got confirmation of identity, creative power, compassion. The compassion of God. People are hungry, I will feed them. I will try to take care of their needs. He still does that today. The role of the 12. The 12, John, you made the point. They had the responsibility of distributing the bread to the crowd in John 6. Well, they're gonna do that later, but it's not gonna be physical bread they distribute. They're gonna be distributing spiritual bread. Jesus will tell them to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what they're doing here is foreshadowing and preparing them for what they will do spiritually later. They're distributing physical bread here, Later, they will start distributing the spiritual bread, the word of God. Number five, Jesus wasn't wasteful. He wasn't wasteful, was he? He said, pick up the leftovers. And in a great, prosperous country like ours, it's can be easy to be wasteful. I've been guilty of that. You just throw, throw away the leftover pizza, or whatever, throw away things, wasteful with your money. Jesus wasn't wasteful. He wasn't wasteful with the blessings of God. And then the final lesson is this, physical food only brings temporary satisfaction. These people, even though they ate a great feast and they were fully satisfied, do you think they got hungry again later? You better believe they did. That's why they came looking for him the next day in John 6. But when you partake of Jesus spiritually, will you ever be hungry spiritually? You'll be spiritually satisfied. So physical food only brings temporary satisfaction, but what Jesus offers, the spiritual food, that brings true satisfaction. And that's really what Jesus was trying to teach. So let's stop there. Thank you so much. Great, great miracle. So much more we could say about it. But I hope those things will help you and help you.